house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. She disappeared. Bernadette jumped out a window. There's one answer to all of your problems. Get your ass back to work. A huge project has come up. It will require me to go to Antarctica. It's twice the challenge anyone ever imagines. With long stretches, without sleep and exercise. Sounds like I've been in training for this for the last 20 years. Hello and welcome to the This Head Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast making a vision board about Angelina Jolie. Every week on This Head Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my mudslide-preventing Blackberry Bramble, Chris Fyle. Hello, Chris. I am nothing if not supportive and sweet. <laughs> Very good. Supportive, sweet, and uh, subject to the whim of Kristen Wiig, apparently. <laughs> you know. To follow the metaphor. Maybe at least my viewing habits. Perhaps. Yes. Um, Where did you go, Bernadette? <laughs> That's my uh, Goldie Hawn presenting this as a, as a Best Picture nominee. Where did you go, Bernadette? uh my uh option is i should have come with a whole like list of things that i uh tortured you with the other day where'd you go benedetta (laughs) ever since that uh tyra banks interviewing beyonce uh clip resurfaced this most recent time I have been obsessed with just taking every possible celebrity interaction and turning it into a Tyra style interview where she's just like <laughs> Kate Slanket. What do you cuddle up under when you watch movies at night? Listen, when O Town said when it comes to the test, Tyra's the best, the test they were talking about was testing Beyonce's nerves. Yes. <laughs> there has never been a more. I wish I was dead. Look on somebody's face. Just like, (laughs) I wish I was anywhere but here. Just absolutely anywhere. Teleport me to the nearest whatever. This may make me sound pop culturally ignorant, but where is Tyra? Where did you go, Tyra Banks? No, she was just hosting something. Is it Dancing with the Stars? I think she's hosting now. Really? Yes. I believe that was like the most recent season. I don't know whether she's following it in its move to Peacock, but I believe that's what she was doing. She was hosting. I believe my father still watches Dancing with the Stars. I mean, there could be worse dumb programming. I will say, dancing is ultimately harmless, so I will take that over. I don't know. I can't with all these dating shows. I really can't. I can't with the. The love. I want to be a Love Love Island person. I really want to be a a Love Island. I can't do it. There's no. It's so consuming. I need a little bit of strategy. 
I need a little bit of gamification. I don't. We're know. getting so far afield. This has a little bit of gamification, but one of the things that I was slightly devastated slash relieved by in the HBO Max ness that's yeah. going on <laughs> this uh, who knows what it could be like now we're recording yeah. this a month and a half in advance this is true think, this yeah point. who knows what the devastation will be in a month but that they canceled doing any more 12 dates of christmas oh wait which one was 12 Emo? dates of christmas <laughs> you reviewed that for prime timer right I didn't, but um, uh, if it still was going to go on, I would happily write about it for anyone. It is maybe the worst television I have ever feverishly, hungrily subjected myself to. It is a bunch of very, not all that smart people... Oh, it's a reality basic... show. Oh, it's a reality. Oh, I thought it was like one of those like gay Hallmark knockoffs okay. around gotcha. Christmas. Uh... So it's also it's the reality trash I love. Sure, it's the Christmas that I love. It's the Holly Jolly, and it's basically like <laughs> you got the Holly and the Jolly. You've got them both. Listen, it, it's a bisexual dating show. You got Holly and <laughs> Jolly in there. There's always like a gay or bisexual person in sure, there. Sure. It creates a lot of drama of like figuring it out. And then it's always set to some like when they send someone home, you get presents instead of like roses, like for sure. Bachelor or whatever. I will and say it always ends with you like going home for Christmas, even though it's like, <laughs> we filmed this in August. And, oh, no. And they have to go meet their families. In the first season, the gay guy didn't choose anybody because he, like, needed to work on himself or something. So sure. all of the guys that he dated went home to meet his family to be like, we're gonna help you uh, get in touch with your family. See, something. It's, turn it's that into a low-stakes rom-com and I'm fine. Like, turn it's that so into, good. you know, a 90-minute light comedy with, you know, some character actors in it, and ABC. I am fine. Yes. Um, I know will say... who would not be caught dead on a reality dating show? Kate Blanchett. Or Bernadette. Blanchett. Bernadette, whatever. Blanchett. Bernadette Fox. I feel like Bernadette Fox would watch some bad TV. Maybe but she it would, wouldn't. She doesn't really have a TV, I don't think. No... If she ever watched reality TV, it would only sort of further confirm her bad ideas about the human condition, right? Like, she would only sort of, like, plunge her further down into her misanthropy, which is probably counterproductive. Not necessarily incorrect, but let's say counterproductive to what she needs to be doing. Where did you go, Bernadette? This is based on a novel from the early teens. And you read it and you loved it. A lot of people seem to really love the novel and were anticipating the movie. But I also saw a lot of, I can't believe they tried to adapt this. This was always going to be too challenging to adapt. You see this all the time with book to movie transitions that don't work. And you're just like, well, it was inadaptable. You You couldn't do it. So much of the novel is... The way that the story unfolds, you're reading people's emails. You're like, yeah. you're getting Bernadette's messages to her personal shopper, and like right. that's how you learn of this story. You this modern day epistolary actual structure. like 
news articles about the stuff that Bernadette did, etc. So, right. like, the version that would be very true to the novel in that, like, the story exists in cyberspace, basically. Sure. Could have been very, very annoying. However, yes. yeah. the structure of the book is not as straightforward as the movie. You know, right. the way that information actually comes to you, the interiority of Bernadette and like what she's actually yeah. experiencing. You don't get it from beginning, middle, end, the way that this movie streamlines the action as it happens. It does. Although when we're on the other side of the plot description, I want to talk about how I feel like it could have actually gone further in that direction and improved itself as far as I'm concerned, but I want to wait till we're on the other side. But I think just in general, Richard Linkletter was asked why he changed the structure of it so much because the structure, if they would have adapted it more faithfully to the structure of the novel, you would necessarily decentralize your Kate Blanchett performance, your performance of whoever is playing Bernadette, at least a little bit. And his answer to that was like, well, you don't cast Kate Blanchett and then have her not be in the movie very much. So, But I think much in the way that Bernadette is more interesting in the book because we don't always get it directly from her perspective. So we kind of have this realization about her, makes her a more interesting character on the page. I think it would have made this performance more interesting to yeah. have it and also they kind of maybe not necessarily lucked into but like who knows when you're casting child actors they were fortunate to get a pretty winning young girl to play the daughter in this yeah i think she's really good and i think she could have probably stood to shoulder even more of the narrative than she did and you know, I understand the trepidation of being like, well, this this needs to be a Kate Blanchett movie. This can't be a movie that belongs to the kid because we're taking too many chances in that way. But seeing her performance, I think they probably could have at least a little bit more than they do. Yeah. Well, and it's not just the daughter that's a more prominent character. Sue Lin is basically a right. main character in the book because a lot of like people's perceptions of Bernadette, etc., are filtered yeah. through her relationship with Elgie, who they take it out of the movie, but they have an affair in the book. That was I was reading. I did my due diligence, and by that I mean I read the Wikipedia description of the novel, <laughs> and that was the thing that jumped out to me the most: is that in the novel, the husband has an affair with his assistant, and and she gets pregnant, and that. Mm-hmm recharacterizes that whole relationship and essentially the book doesn't have the same ending that the movie does the movie couldn't have that ending if they didn't if they had stuck with that characterization of the husband right right and even still i don't think that shortcut or that change pays off enough because are we really that happy that she stuck with the husband i'm i I didn't need her to leave him, but it's not like at the end I'm like so happy that they stayed together. 
I think some of that, and we'll get maybe further into this later, I think some of that is a casting issue, casting chemistry Not for me, issue. though, because I love Billy Crudup. I know a lot of I people love him think too, he's, like, but slick and weaselly and whatever, but, like, I love him. You put those actors on screen together, do you root for them to be together? Yeah. Not really. Right. Um, right. I don't know. I... I give this movie, I mean, like, I do think this is a pleasant movie. I'm somewhat surprised to be reminded how negatively people dislike this movie. And, like, we'll get into the kind of, like, massive delays of this movie and how it might have, you know, shadowed people's uh, perceptions of the movie. But I don't think this is as bad. Oh, no, it's fine. Um, I don't think that this is necessarily a bad movie it's just not as interesting yeah or as funny as it really could be i was a little surprised to find that i liked it less this second time watching it the first time i watched it was after it had dropped on amazon mm-hmm. but when it uh, in early I imagine it was either like very late tw- 2019 or early 2020 is probably more likely. And in fact, I think I was, it was probably into pandemic when I watched it. Um, and I remember thinking, Oh, this is better than people suggested that it was. And I think I benefited from lowered expectations, but I remember thinking like, this isn't great, but it's like a good, you know, this is a good movie. And then watching it this time, I found myself a lot more impatient with it, Mm -hmm. especially in its early going to sort of get there to sort of get to where it's going. And once again, when she's in Antarctica and things are sort of coming together for her character, I do like it. I do appreciate where Mm -hmm. it ends up at for her. And tonally where it finally kind of arrives but I was sort of frustrated and knowing about the changes that were made from the book, I feel like I have a lot to say about the way that this was structured and the way that it might've been structured otherwise. Right. right. But maybe we'll get into that on the other side of the plot description. It's also called where'd you go Bernadette? And because of the way it's structured, she's never actually missing. No. Not to us in the audience. <laughs> no, like hardly ever. She's, There's no mystery element anymore. She it's, didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, yes. All right. So why don't we get into the plot description now? And we should also mention up front, by the way, this is our sixth Cape Blanchett movie. So we, we will be quiz. doing a six-timers quiz for Cape Blanchett. So... How many crude-ups have we done? It's only our... I want to say second. Hold on a second, because I was just making these notes last night. Um... It's like and first yet, or still second. No stage beauty. Still no stage beauty. There's a few that we could end up doing. Uh, I feel no. like Judy Greer or Fishburne are the people in this cast that are. We've done closest. a few Greers. Um, we've. This is actually our first Billy Crudup, so I definitely want to talk about it wow. because it's our first chance to do so. Um, yeah, our fourth Judy Greer after Love and Other Drugs, Men, Women, and Children, and Elizabeth Town. Our fourth Kristen Wiig after Walter Mitty, and I want to talk about that because the I remember the early trailer, the early trailers for this movie reminded me of Walter Mitty in a way that made me feel like oh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Kristen Wiig was in that, in Mother, in Downsizing, and in this. 
Uh, it's oddly our third David Paymer after Get Shorty, Bounce, and now uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Fantastic. And our third Lawrence Fishburne after Bobby. And of course, who could forget his performance in The Mule? Um, <laughs> and our third Steve Zahn after Riding in Cars with Boys. And he's a voice in The Good Dinosaur. So, ah, yes. Yes. Uh, but it's our sixth K Blanchett. So, very excited. Uh, six Blanchett, first crewed up. First Crewed Up is a fantastic sequel to First Reformed. I can't even tell you. <laughs> oh my god, just stunning and powerful. And that Paul Schrader, man, every time he just nails you with it. All right, Chris. Yes. We're going to lead up to the 60-second plot description. First, I'm going to read a little bit about this movie. Uh, it's called Where'd You Go, Bernadette? It's from 2019. It's one of our more recent uh, movies that we've done. Directed by... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say I genuinely couldn't place this in time. When oh, no. It's in that wasteland. This. It's in that memory bin. of. I thought it was like 2017. <laughs> 2017 through 2019 is like, it really, really is. Like, I hate to keep bringing this up, but like from once Trump was elected, honestly, actually, no, I will say, no, it's different. After the Moonlight La La Land Oscars until that's 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 a until the part of the pandemic where i was at my parents house so i can geographically place myself (laughs) that is a real mix-em-up time for me i think it's just so smooshy wooshy like it's i don't know well much like this movie we will untangle those knots and just put it in one straight boring line (laughs) yeah Exactly. Uh, Where Did You Go, Bernadette? Directed by Richard Linkletter. Written by Richard Linkletter, Holly Gent, and Vince Palmo. Based on the novel by Maria Semple. Starring Kate Blanchett, Emma Nelson, Billy Crudup, Kristen Wiig, Lawrence Fishburne, Zoe Chow, Judy Greer, Kate Burton. We're going to talk about Kate Burton. I love Kate Burton in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troyan Belisario, James Urbaniak, with cameos from Megan Mullally and Steve Zahn. And David Paymer premiered on August sixteenth, twenty nineteen. A Leo just like me. Um, uh, I don't believe in astrology. It's fine. Uh, Chris, I'm going to put sixty seconds on the clock for you. Are you ready to give the plot for Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Uh, more like how quickly did you go, Bernadette? <laughs> yes. All right, and we begin. All right, we meet Bernadette Fox. She is a former architect, and she's also a recluse. Uh, Through flashbacks and YouTube videos about her career as an architect, we learn that she had this massive uh, project that was essentially demolished after she finished it. And throughout her life, she's also faced several miscarriages, so she's kind of an eccentric, uh, anxious person who hasn't really dealt with any of her issues. Meanwhile, her uh, teenage daughter wants to go to Antarctica. They promise her that they will do that for a good grades. However, Bernadette has been battling with her neighbor 30 seconds. um her neighbor audrey um over various petty things bernadette um suggests that they were or bernadette agrees to remove this uh blackberry bush on the hill and then it ruined it uh, crashes down and ruins audrey's house meanwhile they stage an intervention against bernadette because of this and uh bernadette escapes and she goes to antarctica herself and then they chase after her um and they find her and bernadette uh gets a new job um uh making a new station in antarctica Literally one minute on the dot. That was incredible. Very good. Um, yeah, there's so much buildup to 
Bernadette getting to the point where one would logically ask, where do you go, Bernadette? Mm-hmm. That it's like an hour into the movie. It's so long into the movie. And this is not quite a two hour movie. So it's here's the thing. So the novel, as I understand it, again, I read the Wikipedia article. I know some things. <laughs> I read the novel. Um, I, it, it, it's, it's the daughter, basically, essentially, Bernadette goes missing very early on. And the daughter then sort of goes through this box of correspondence, right? From, mm-hmm. uh, from her mom. She goes through letters. She goes through like online articles about her mom, from what I understand, and sort of just yes. like basically like learns all about what her mom has been doing and has in her life, right? And if I'm remembering correctly of the book, like, reading through like Sue Lin's emails in a right. way that suggests there's a hacking going on, which is just like a fun bit of business about the the daughter. And it also just like totally recontextualizes how you're getting this information. Well, totally. And then it becomes about a daughter sort of finding out about the more complete person that her mother is, which I, is a yes, story that- that's the ultimate- gets told a lot right that's your how to make an american quilt that's your i love that that was my very first uh, example (laughs) but you know what i mean and the pieces don't really come together entirely until they find her so it's like there's a mystery element to it there's an adventure but it's like all along there's this comedic element where it's like you're getting personal correspondence so these people interact in ways that like they wouldn't towards each other so you hear thing you hear the like nastier side of what bernadette thinks of audrey you hear a lot about what su lin thinks of bernadette even though she hasn't like met her um and like that in and of itself is very funny yeah like the way that you see these characters like yeah in their own head sure. and not you know filtered through this nice yeah. version well and you get a little bit of this sort of this hunt that the daughter embarks on in the movie mm-hmm. a little bit because it kicks off with this sort of fan of bernadette's this architecture student essentially sees her Mm -hmm. at the library and sort of bugs her in a way that sort of mortifies Bernadette. Right. I, you know, you're an idol of mine. I can't believe I ran into you. Yada, yada. And she makes mention of a YouTube video or something. Like I watched this sort of YouTube video about your life and Bernadette then intrigued enough by it, but also sort of horrified goes and watches this. And so we get, a little bit of Bernadette's history from that, her, you know, MacArthur genius grant. And she gets the, the 20 mile house, which is she's building in one, her most famous uh, creation as an architect was this house where she was building it with only materials found within a 20 mile radius of the house of where she was building it. And it was going to be, she got the MacArthur genius grant and she was, this was going to be her, sort of crowning glory. And she was so vexed by this trashy reality TV producer millionaire 
moving in and buying the lot next door to her, that it got Mm -hmm. to her. And she stalled out on the project and she decided to basically throw in the towel and sell the building and ended up accidentally selling it to the reality producer shithead who tears it down. And this we are to told is what broke Bernadette essentially that she moves to Seattle, the entire city of Seattle sort of disillusions her. She retreats into this house on a hill and her daughter who she loves and sort of fiercely, uh, (coughs) this uh, like mansion that's falling apart by the way, like that, right. That, you know, they're, doing really nothing to restore right but so i feel like to round about to my point finally is even though the movie takes this sort of twisty epistolary patchwork narrative and straightens it out into a line i think it's more i think if you're going to do that take us back further start us out with we need to see bernadette get disillusioned not in flashback, mm. not in a YouTube video, but like we need to see that moment and sort of agonize through that with her because it explains so much. And even if you don't show that to us until later on into the movie and show it in a flashback, show it to us in a narrative sense because mm-hmm. it, 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 it unlocks so much of her personality in this. And it shows it then becomes this movie about what happens when all you want to do in the world is put your creativity to the use of something beautiful and functional and helpful and something that will actually contribute something wonderful into the world. And it gets pissed on by this guy with no taste and no (laughs) by Ryan Murphy. I mean, it's sort of like by Ryan Seacrest, actually, right? Where it's this sort of like reality <laughs> TV mogul. Seacrest out. And and it it just again, it just breaks her. And mm-hmm. I think it's I think that's such a strong theme that doesn't get presented strongly enough in the film. I definitely think you need more of the type of thing you're describing if it's going to completely center Bernadette in the right. way that this movie does right. because it it really kind of muddle it, it it's more like it's telling you what her emotional journey is and what her emotional stakes are than actually revealing them right. you know like it feels like the movie's constantly telling you what it is mm-hmm. um i don't know though like I just almost feel like Linklater is not the right tonal person for this, like for the book as it is. Like, I, I think it begs for more of like, he's not, what it begs for more like a Diablo Cody, someone who is going to make Mm -hmm. something funny out of someone who is (laughs) antisocial. Where are Um, you on Linklater? What are your favorite Linkletters and your less favorite Linkletters? Is this going to be like a Twitter prompt? What's your favorite Richard Linklater movie? You can't say a before movie. No. Oh, I get like, I, yeah, yes, kind of. Yes. I mean, we've talked about him before with, um, me and Orson Welles in Mm -hmm. how he kind of has these incongruous movies in his filmography that it doesn't really seem like he's a fit for. And there's a few of them and they don't, like you can't kind of figure out what 
what the through line is. He's What's a tough one to narrativize for... his his filmography. Yeah. He has. I mean, I think the best ones, and even some of the failures, like Last Flag Flying, you can totally see why he would be drawn to that material, why he would want to tell that story. But this isn't one of those. He's somebody. It's interesting. I almost want to like sit down and maybe like do it as a project and like pick out what are the common threads. And some of them are more work for hire than others or not necessarily work for hire, but movies that let the screenwriter when he's not the screenwriter, like school of rock sort of presents Mm -hmm. as a different type of movie. And I don't mean that as like, I love school of rock. I think I love school of rock. I don't think, I think link letters hard to encapsulate in a way because it's not like, Oh, all the movies he writes are good and the ones he doesn't write are bad or the other way around. It's not like all of his commercial movies are bad and his artsy movies are good or the other way around. It's, it's a, it's a patchwork <laughs> of stuff. His one rotoscope movie, I think is great. Waking life. His other rotoscope movie, uh, scanner darkly, I think is only average. Um, the before movies are great, but you wanna, you want to, give the authorial voice to the three of them together rather than just Mm -hmm. him. And, you know, sometimes when it feels like he's going for something awardsy, it feels uninspired, like Last Flag Flying, but sometimes it's great, like Boyhood. I loved Boyhood. And even Boyhood, you can, I I guess... Boyhood was turned into something awardsy. That was always just like his own little risky pet project that happened to turn out. That's fair. That's fair. I don't know so much about Merrily We Roll Along. Well, I mean, there's so much that's un... Un, up in the air about that he's project. He's going to be really tough. old when it's done. Is yeah, the that felt that felt like an act of defiance against time. <laughs> like I will not. <laughs> Which, like, God bless him, and I hope he does. Uh, but I would. I mean, there's also like there's a lot that's just not fitting in this movie and i think some of it even goes to like you think of who a link later performer is and you mm-hmm. don't think of kate blanchett ever no. like i don't really know if that's at least not for this material a pairing that makes sense to me even when he has in the past cast big stars like the most the most akin to Kate Blanchett in Where'd You Go, Bernadette, in his entire filmography, is probably Jack Black in School of Rock. The only other time that he's directed a movie and essentially handed it to the star of it in this way. Where otherwise, even when he works with McConaughey, McConaughey sort of, you know, grooves with the whole sort of vibe of what Linkletter's doing. Mm-hmm. Even something like Last Flag Flying to its detriment i think everybody in that from corell well cranston's doing his own dumb thing but like corell is like so low-key to the point of being not particularly useful um you get his sort of frequent collaborators like ethan hawk who like ethan hawk maybe one of the like top five will go for whatever vibe you are going for director Mm -hmm. like a direct a a director's actor, if there ever really was one, right? And mm-hmm. so I think I really can only think of Jack Black and School of Rock on that level of casting Kate Blanchett and Bernadette. And sometimes that works, as with 
And I don't think Blanchett is, I don't think Blanchett is bad in this, but I think. No, I think she's good. I mean, when has Kate Blanchett been bad? But she's maybe too much for this. She also, I mean, it's just like, it's not a, Linklater's not a fit to the material. I don't think she's fully a fit to um, Linklater. I feel like a version of the movie that's not going for the like, not naturalistic, but like earnest, straightforward type of approach that I think Linklater is doing with this isn't the version of Bernadette that I want to see Kate Blanchett do. I want to mm. see her allowed to be more eccentric mm-hmm. because I think ultimately the movie has a hard time juggling. Well, she's not eccentric. She's just went through a lot of hard times and hasn't yeah. been able to really cope with it. And also allowing her to also be eccentric in a fun way. Yeah. And I don't think the movie allows her to be that. And I would like to see the, the, the person who I honestly think maybe this would have worked and they are right for the role, but it would bring both the Linklater energy and an energy that's authentic to who Bernadette is, is Julie Delpy. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Not to say the cheap thing, but like, Julie Delpy can have those same type of like lines, can have the cuddliness, can have the misanthropy that she has, and also can provide the uh, what I think Linklater is going for. The one that I thought of picking from within Linklater's sort of ranks, and I, I don't think she'd ever get the role because she's not a big enough movie star. But I thought of Parker Posey as somebody who he's worked with before on Dazed and Confused. She brings a very strong comedic energy. And I don't know if she's ever been able to play that kind of comedic yet also sympathetic lead in something before. And I Mm -hmm. I would have been at least excited to see what she did with that. I mean, she can do sadness, too. I mean, it, like, shows through the cracks of Christopher Guest movies that yeah. she, like, some of her acting choices. And the other one I thought of, even though I don't know if I necessarily think she would have been great in it, but Patricia Arquette as a sort of boyhood follow-up. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about that one. I mean, I would maybe also think, like, a Melanie Linsky. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, like, this is not just Blanchette, too, because I love... Her. We're going to talk about her. This is this episode is dropping right before Tar is released. Right, we're recording it before Tar has been seen. I still feel like I'm pronouncing it wrong when I say Tar. That accent is truly fucking with my head. That accent mark <laughs> on the A. I'm like, should I be Tear. Tar? You know what I mean? Like, what should I be doing? What should how how extra should I be going on that A? I don't know. I go extra on that air is what I uh, is what they say. To me. <laughs> As is your want. Um, uh, I think I just misused that phrase. Um, <laughs> the thing that threw me because we are recording this the week that the full trailer came out. The thing that threw me, yeah. the narration in the trailer, she doesn't have an accent. She's giving like stern American. Yeah. So. Where 
What what's her lineage? I thought the movie was like set in Germany. Todd Field's just gonna keep fucking with you and fucking with you until you see the movie and then you'll understand it, I I'm guess. I'm telling I don't you, know. we're going to see this movie and it's gonna be like, by the way, this is set in <laughs> Germany, comma, Venus of space. Like Todd is going to do whatever he wants and we're going to be It's not based on anything, right? No, this is an original screenplay. Yeah. His first time doing something original. I say that like he's done so many films all sure. adapted. Um, but I mean, even the projects that have come up in the many, many years between his films, it's always adaptations that have come forth. So that's, that is something that's very interesting. And the little that is out there about this movie, he said that he would have abandoned this project if she had said no. Um, I'm very excited. I've been. Ex- yes. I mean, like, I didn't believe it was real until I saw that first <laughs> teaser trailer. Because fool me once, fool me twice, you'll probably fool me for another fifteen years. Todd Field about yeah. saying you have a project, but uh, when I saw that teaser, and we got sweaty Kate Blanchett, sure, I was like, it's real. It's so real. it's going to be major because. When Kate Blanchett is allowed to be sweaty on screen, or like her hair isn't fully dry yet, right? Shit goes down. Not to put the cart before the horse, and we're going to have plenty of opportunity to talk about this, I think, in the months ahead. But just as a general table setter, do you feel like Kate Blanchett is in a position to win a third Oscar at this stage of her career? I mean. It's been almost a decade since her last one. I, I mean, there, I, I, I would say never doubt her at this point. The type of reverence that this movie is clearly going to give her, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that that are going to be her competition that are going to receive something like or or going to be in a project like that. That is so clearly. Uh, worshipping and designed for them. Yeah. Um, I know I all of these things <laughs> are situational, and I'm probably over-narrativizing things, but I have tend to have sort of a grand theory about third Oscars, which is that you really have to have a certain stature for it to be a possibility that you can win a second Oscar if the circumstances are right. Mm -hmm. That third Oscar, there is going to be some sort of institutional barrier that you are going to have to surpass with your standing as an actor, right? I don't think Hilary Swank can ever win a third acting Oscar unless she comes out with a performance that's like so insanely better than anything she's ever done before that she'll be able to jump that, you know, jump that divide. I think somebody like Sally Field is probably in the same boat. Whereas Meryl, and look how long it took Meryl, but like Frances McDormand, Daniel Day-Lewis are sort of in this tier of whether, and like, Irregardless, irregardless is not a word. Regardless of people's individual <laughs> go, feelings about it, there is a collective agreement that, like Meryl Streep, Daniel Day Lewis, Catherine Hepburn, 
Jack Nicholson, Francis McDormand. These people are cream of the crop, top of the list, New York, New York, like absolutely uh, the tits when it comes to acting. <laughs> and But Blanchett's on that level. That's what I See, was leading up to. Yes, all these I absolutely examples. agree. Yes. Yeah, I think she is. Well, I, I think it's almost better that we're having this conversation before we've seen this movie or before we're like unpacking yeah. the reception of the movie. Yeah. Because it's totally it, it's totally its own thing, regardless of what the performance will be. My feeling is, yes, she's of course at that as the same level of them. I wouldn't even question that. Yeah. But all these examples that you've given, though, of third Oscars, so many of them are circumstantial. Like, obviously, Meryl being the one that we're like, that's a terrible performance and a shame that it will be her last Oscar. But the Meryl thing was a culmination of a decade of her having a resurgence. Yes, and being in second place a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and, like, I hate to say it, but, like, it she was finally in the Weinstein campaign machine. Well, and playing playing a real person... I I always feel like if Devil Wears Prada had happened a few years later, she probably would have won for Devil Wears Prada. I agree. But playing a real person under the name of the real person, who is such a historical figure, I think that was so key to her winning for, for Iron Lady. If you also, I mean, I think maybe the outlier to what I'm going to say is Daniel Day-Lewis. But like, if you get kind of granular with a lot of these third Oscars, there are, you know, circumstances and you have to like, kind of look at the race too. Like Meryl was actually in probably a three way race for a lot of that season. Sure. Um, like, I think all Oscars are ultimately circumstantial. I just feel like with a third acting Oscar, there is a strata that needs to be met before right. it's even possible. Well, and like Daniel Day Lewis goes into the real person thing, not mm-hmm. just like playing a real person, but playing Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Francis McDormand's like that was a pan the pandemic. Yeah. Like I just feel like there's some sort of internal gatekeeping that might not even be conscious among voters. Where it's like Christoph Waltz isn't gonna win a third Oscar. Hillary Swank's not gonna win a third Oscar. Like even I think Jodie Foster wins her third if Nell doesn't come quite so quickly on the heels of the other ones. But then again, Francis McDormand's And if it was third, a better-reviewed movie. Yes. Yes. I think Francis McDormand's bucks that trend because it was the best picture of the year. Mm-hmm. And she was so instrumental in getting it made. And also, it's a pandemic year, so like shit was weird all over. I mean, I do think you're right that there is a barrier to entry to a third Oscar yeah. in that like you really have to prove something. But I don't think that widely people know what that is it's like this nebulous no it's totally um, nebulous but i think nebulous as it may be i think blanchett is on the good side of that and i think uh, yes i think what the limitation might be like i was saying if you look granular at things if there is if it ends up that like tar is a beloved movie and kate blanchett is the where like all that energy gets funneled i think it's like it was for Lincoln um, with Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, I think that makes it very possible. I think if it's like 
the spreading the love that the Academy does lately benefits someone else, then I think she probably is easy to be like, well, this isn't her third Oscar. I think if the movie's too fucking weird, I think they're not going to give it to her. They don't really... I mean, like, Blue Jasmine is huge, but, like, she has some weirder, thornier Oscar nominations, like I'm Not There, that, like, they were never probably going to give it to her because it's too weird. Oh, I bet she was... Second place for I'm not there. I think I'd she love was to see the third place to Ruby D. Yes, interesting. That's a that's a category I'd love to see how it shook out voting wise. How close Sir it was. Last. I could see Amy Ryan being last. Also, she won all those critics awards, but that was not she was not a name for the Oscars for Oscar voters at that point. And I think it was a best picture nominee too. That wasn't really going to win. And I think some people, the novelty of a kid nominee appeals to some people, some pocket of people. Um, wow. We've really gone afield. So let's bring it back. No, but we're talking about Blanchett. We're talking about, we're talking about Blanchett. And so we mentioned before, this is our sixth time with a Kate Blanchett movie. As we do, whenever we reach the sixth time, except for Julia Roberts, who we forgot, and we're going to get it next time we, uh, talk about her. Um, we do a little quiz. I create a little quiz about the six movies that we have done for this particular actor, and I quiz Chris, and it's very fun, and we'll see how it goes. So, as a reminder, and I don't know if, Chris, you want to write these down, because the answers to all of these will be one of these six movies. We started episode 37 of our podcast. We did The Gift from the year 2000. Episode 44, as part of our 2003 miniseries, we did The Missing. Then we did Truth, episode 57. The Shipping News, the long-awaited Shipping News, episode... <laughs> Where she plays, mention the name. Uh, oh, um, Petal. Petal Coil. Petal Coil. Right, her married name, Petal Coil. Yeah. Uh, that was our episode 150. Uh, the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou was episode 167. And then here we are with Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Interesting decision... That it's where'd you go and not where did you go, Bernadette. I wonder what, like, what... Yeah, no, no, nobody in this is Midwestern. No. No, they're not. Not spiritually nor uh, geographically. <laughs> so, interesting. Yes. There's a lot... I mean, Kristen Wiig's wig is <laughs> spiritually Kristen's wig. Yes. All right, Chris. I'm going to start the quiz. All right. Of those six films... That feature Kate Blanchett. Which one is the longest? The Missing. The Missing at 137 minutes. Which one is the shortest? The Gift? Not The Gift. Truth. Not Truth. Why did I think Truth was like 95 minutes? Is it Life Aquatic? It's not Life Aquatic. I thought that was like two hours. Jesus. It's got to be Bernadette then. It's Bernadette at 109. Wow. Here's the interesting thing about these six movies. They're close on a lot of these metrics. Like, there is not a lot of separation <laughs> between this. So, yeah, 109 minutes. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Leave it to Blanchett to make me work for it. Yes. Highest domestic box office total. Oh, that's hard, actually. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. is it The Missing? It's The Missing at a whopping 27 million domestic. These are yeah. not big money makers that we have chosen. Lowest box office total. Shipping news. You'd think, but no. 
Oh, okay. Um, now it's where did you go, Bernadette? It's not. Okay. Well, Bernadette made like nine million. Is it the gift? It's not the gift. It's truth. It's truth. Truth at two point five million. Uh, That's surprising. Shipping news was like eleven million. The gift was twelve million. So again, they're all right around very similar. <laughs> the idea levels. of the shipping news making eleven. I'm sure at the time we were like, "Wow, it only made eleven million dollars." Oh yeah, but Bomb like, City back then. The yeah. idea of that movie making eleven million dollars now is it's a miracle. Cuckoo bananas. Which one was the highest score on Rotten Tomatoes? Truth. Truth. It's sixty-three percent. Again, nothing Not super. Great. Nothing super high. <laughs> which was the lowest? Um, shipping news. No. Life Aquatic. No. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Where'd you go, Bernadette? At fifty. Fifty percent. The gift. Oh my god! A range of like thirteen. The gift is fifty-seven percent. The missing is fifty-eight percent. Shipping news is fifty-five percent. Life Aquatic is fifty-six percent. Like it's oh, too nice to the shipping news. It's all oh yeah, very too nice to the shipping news. It's all right there in this cluster. Totally. All right. Which two movies on this list were distributed by studios with classics in their name? Well, that's Sony Classics and Paramount Classics. It's The Gift and Truth. Yes, very good. The Gift was Paramount Classics. Truth was Sony Classics. All right. Which was the only one with cinematography by a woman? Hmm. Is it Truth? Truth. Mandy Walker. All right. Which two movies had scores by Christopher Young? Christopher Young, I'm pretty sure, does the shipping news. Yes. And The Missing? Nope. The Gift. The Gift, yes. Who was The Missing? The Missing was James Horner. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right. Which is the only one to have been nominated for an Independent Spirit Award? The Gift. Yes. Do you remember for who? Giovanni Ribisi. Giovanni Ribisi. Who is terrible. Yes, he is. Which was the only one to have been released earlier than the month of October? Where'd you go, Bernadette? Yes, August. Which one was released on Christmas Day exactly? The Missing. No. The Shipping News. No. Okay, fuck. Um, Life Aquatic? Life Aquatic. The Missing was November 26th. The Shipping News was December 18th. So you were definitely close on both of those. Uh, Christmas Day, exactly. All right. Which is the only one of these to have neither been written nor directed by an Oscar nominee? Neither written nor directed by an Oscar nominee. The Gift is Billy Bob Thornton. That's out. Yeah. Missing's Ron Howard. That's out. Um, the Gift, we should clarify, was written co-written by Billy Bob Thornton, even though it was directed by Sam Raimi. Right. Um, is it Truth, which is written by James Vanderbilt and directed by James Vanderbilt? Yes, exactly. Exactly right. James Vanderbilt, somehow not an Oscar nominee for the screenplay for Zodiac. Boo. All right. Which is the (laughs) only one of these films wherein Blanchett does not co-star with an Oscar winner? No Oscar winners whatsoever. Life Aquatic. Nope. Angelica Houston. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Where'd you go, Bernadette? Yes. Yeah. All right. So only counting acting nominees, or sorry, 
only counting acting Oscar winners. How many Oscar winners for acting are in these six movies? Total? Yes. Oh, shit. Okay, I'm glad I wrote these down because I can do a tally. The Gift has... um, My apologies to Katie Holmes. It has Hilary Swank. The Missing has Tommy Lee Jones. Truth has Redford, but he did not win for acting. Um, Shipping News has Julianne Moore, Judy Dench, Kevin Spacey, a lot of other people, but none of them have acting wins. Life Aquatic has Angelica Houston. Yeah, I kind of gave you that one. Um, winners. Yes. Acting winners. Okay, so I have six so far. I feel like I'm going to be missing one somewhere, and I'm going to say seven. That is classic pub quiz strategy, and you did it exactly right. Tally up yeah. all the ones you know, and then add one, because you're always forgetting one. Uh, <laughs> Who did I forget? J.K. Simmons is in The Gift. Easy to forget that fact. Yeah. So yeah. very well strategized, sir. All right. Which two of these movies feature stars of the movie Thank You for Smoking? Uh, the Gift has Katie Holmes. Yes. <laughs> and also, J.K. Simmons is also in Thank You for Smoking. And J.K. Simmons. <laughs> and um, Aaron Eckhart is in The Mist. Yes, good remembrance. Yes. All right. Which two movies feature stars of Lost in Translation? Um, Life Aquatic has Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. And um, ooh, uh, oh, Giovanni Ribisi, The Gift. Yes, Giovanni Ribisi as essentially Spike Jones, Spike Jones, <laughs> and Anna Faris as Cameron essentially Diaz. Cameron Diaz. Yes. All right. Which two movies feature stars of Almost Famous? This is very hard. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Billy Crudup. Yep. And um. Elizabeth Moss isn't in no almost famous it's it's gonna be someone far down the line in almost famous I think probably um, in the top 10 of credits I would say but close to the bottom of that okay hmm I mean Philip Seymour Hoffman Anna Paquin um Zoe Deschanel would be around there. Try and go around the tour bus, maybe. Oh, is it? It's uh, who is whom? Bijou Phillips. Um, oh, the band aids didn't go on the bus. Well, no, uh, uh, some of them did, but Bijou never did. Um, around the tour bus, Jason Lee. Noah, Ta- Noah Taylor is in Life Aquatic. There you are. Yeah. Noah Taylor is in the <laughs> Life Aquatic. You bastard. <laughs> uh, this one is also very tough, and we won't linger on it too bad. But which two movies feature stars from the 2000 movie Hamlet? From the Ethan Hawke <laughs> modern Ethan Hamlet. Hamlet. Yeah. Um, Kyle MacLachlan is in that. Julia Stiles is in that. Um, I maybe don't know anyone else who is in that movie. Okay. Uh, then I'll give this to you. Bill Murray is Polonius in that movie. Okay. He's in Life I think Aquatic. I did know that. And Steve Zahn is Rosencrans, and he's in Where'd You Go, Bernadette? All right. Which film did Rex Reed say was, quote, a movie that engrosses, hypnotizes, and clings to the memory long after the final frame? 
<laughs> so the shipping news. The shipping news. <laughs> Rex fucking Reed. <laughs> what film did Rex Reed say was quote the rawest, scariest, most nerve rattling saddlebags and sagebrush saga since Robert Mulligan's The Stalking Moon? The missing. It's a gimme, but I wanted to throw that in there because that is <laughs> mwah, the Rex. stupidest fucking quote I've ever heard. The missing for Pete's sake. Uh, of which film did Richard Roper say? Kate Blanchett is unquestionably one of the great actors of our time. Through the years, I can't imagine ev- I've ever been underwhelmed by any film performance she's ever delivered until now. Bernadette. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Yes. And that is the end of our quiz. Very good. Very good, Chris. Do you agree with uh, the erstwhile uh, Ebert and Roper star? I agree with uh, none of those critical <laughs> assessments. I don't think she's disappointing in this no, movie. No, I think I she's think, good. I like I her think, in this. I think she's kind of deflated because, I don't know. I mean, not that Blanchett always needs a director with a strong take. Yeah. Like it's fun. It's a lot of fun when there's a strong take. Sure. Like Richard Eyre showing up on Notes on a Scandal and being like, "What if this was trash?" <laughs> like, and you know, those two queens run with it. Yes, um, yes. I think it's. I know it's effective because when we get to the final third of the movie and she's in Antarctica and she's on the little kayak with Troyanne Belisario and then she's in making her case to Kate Burton for why she needs to be able to stick around and she's got that life in her again and she's so clearly inspired by this and you feel, or at least I do, a thrill on her behalf like mm-hmm. clearly she's burrowed her way via that performance into you know into my heart enough that i'm so that i'm invested in her happiness and in her creative spark and so i think the thing you were describing earlier of how the movie needs more of like earlier in her like life and career to really emotionally ground it i think you you ultimately get that emotional connection, but it does kick in late when I think it happens when she runs away, you yeah. know, and she, she has that, um, yeah. Intervention, which like that intervention, boy, like that intervention never feel it feels it's not, it's the type of thing that you should feel after you learn more about Bernadette yes. to make the movie work because it feels crazy it feels like they are on another planet about this woman yes rather than just having a conversation i also feel like narratively it's like why is this happening and i i don't put this on crudup because i don't think crudup is being asked to do this but you need to ask that character to be pushed far farther to the brink than he is he needs to in, in order for me and the audience to not be incredibly frustrated by that intervention scene. I, and certainly to not be so turned off by that intervention scene that I stop caring whether they get back together by the end, you have to convince me that he is at his wits end, that he is so, that he's not just, because the impression that I get from watching that scene is that he's inconvenienced enough by Bernadette's current state of being that he has 
taken the shortcut and gone to Judy Greer and is like, intervene with my wife, which I don't know how you do an intervention on somebody who doesn't have like a substance abuse problem. I don't know how you do an intervention for well, somebody like, just for being like some extra. like prescription stuff. Yeah, but I but that point. doesn't feel like it's central to the thing. It's it's essentially yeah. just like she's being intervened on for being depressed. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could at least buy it a little bit more if he seems further removed from her. Yeah. Like the way that the movie is presenting it, like they seem like they've maybe, you know, they've lost some spark at worst right but like he does seem to pretty much know what's going on with her i need that scene to be him fighting for her you know what i mean like him fighting her to fight for her or something just to work as the movie's trying to do it right right? like if it was a realization like later that was like oh he fucked up he didn't really realize what was going on then give me that feels like he does know what's going on and he's just kind of being an asshole right i mean i do ultimately think the like the most spark that the movie has which like does come from the book of this idea that you can't really fully know people even like the ones you love you can't ever really know what's going on in their head you don't always know what's where they're coming from and like it comes together in this kind of lovely like back and forth scene with Judy Greer at talking to uh, Billy Crudup as it's intercut with Blanchett talking to Fishburne and like that I think is maybe the best scene in the movie. Yeah. And like, but the way that that intervention scene is handled, like kind of goes against that. as the I just don't know where, where I, as an audience member, where are my sympathies supposed to lie in this and how vehement are my, because I don't understand how I'm supposed to take this as anything, but being fully in Bernadette's shoes and being like, fuck y'all. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like when she tells, uh, uh, um, uh, what's the the assistant's name? I keep forgetting the assistant's name. Um, Manjula. Yeah. No. 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 Uh, his assistant. Um, oh, <laughs> Sulin. Zoe Chow's character. Uh, to get out of there, I'm like, yeah, fucking get out of there. Like, what the hell are you doing? That you know what I mean? Just like you have no place in this very personal and intimate. Like, it's especially weird without marriage. the affair too, because like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the affair also happening in the book, like she gets in his head a little bit, and it's not like she's a complete asshole, you know? Like yeah. she's coming from it in a way that, like, she's in this relationship with him, and they have kind of a good thing going, and Bernadette's the asshole. And it's and like. And meanwhile, James Urbaniak's there out of a completely different movie that's a lot wackier. Not that yeah. his performance is, <laughs> but like, I think just the presence of that character. I don't understand why, like, he's kicking the door down, and he's, like, uh, there's a comic sensibility that he would fit into perfectly if it existed in this movie. If Linklater was making the Different type choices. of movie he made when he made Bernie. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's frustrating. Um, How did you feel about Kristen Wiig in this movie? Because I think... She, I remember when she was cast, and I was like, "Well, she's not right for that part." Who would you have cast, and and or what, uh, what, where would you have pushed that character directionally? 
I just don't think she's right for the part. Like, I think she's playing everything that the character is supposed to be, but, like, I don't buy her as this humorless, like, bitchy, like, uh, parents association mom. Like, I just don't buy it. I, I don't have a problem buying that. I think the fact that we're supposed to have this sort of wholesale change in her demeanor when Bernadette comes to her after she's run away. I don't buy that. Yeah, and the only kind of impetus for change is Bernadette calling her out. And it's like, it just takes that one person to be like, right. your kid hates you, for her to be like, you know what, you're right, my kid hates me. Right, right. Like, like, you know, I don't think that Kristen Wiig is someone who, like, is who you cast to play it also that character comes across funny (laughs) well but that character also is very stereotypical we've seen that character in eight billion things the uptight suburban mom the pta you know terrorist or whatever and and you cast a character actor in that role and it can be funny and it can be believable and i don't think kristen wiggs a character actor like yeah yeah i don't know i don't know Again, there is a. I don't think this movie knows what kind of comedy it wants to be. Yeah. And I think that's a big, maybe the big problem with it is ultimately it, wa- it knows it wants to be a comedy. I don't think it knows how much of a comedy it wants to be and what kind, what flavor. And when it does decide what it wants to be it's in that final third when she's in antarctica yeah that's because the best then it's part just like me. heartwarming comedy i mean kate burton shows up so kate burton no is place. exactly the kind of character actor you pull in to sell two scenes worth of um a somewhat she, that character serves sort of a bureaucratic purpose in the movie she's essentially a gatekeeper who blanchett needs to convince to let her in essentially and she's perfectly sort of stern and practical and not cartoony in her opposition to her and then when she comes around it seems very believable and i don't know i just love her kate burton gray's anatomy legend (laughs) Um, uh, Alice Gray forever, even though she's in fact dead on that show for many years. Um, yeah. Did you watch, uh, uh, the dropout? No. She was tremendous on the dropout. She has like one scene where she's just like, ah, God, she's so good. Um, you would have liked the dropout not to like, you know, hand you homework or whatever, but like, that's fine. You can hand me homework. Um, you brought something up in our outline that really kind of, I knew intrinsically, but then when you go back and you look, it is kind of really surprising. Uh, you basically asked the rhetorical question, because I think it is rhetorical, because I'm not really sure there's a firm answer. Uh, how close has Billy Crudup gotten yeah. to an Oscar nomination? His, all right. And I don't know how to answer that question. I mean... Statistically speaking, if you look at the history, 
It's gotta be Jesus's son yes. because he got an indie spirit nomination, but like How did that I... is not close. No. That is not even the top ten close. I think that's the thing. I also wonder were they pushing any of the other supporting actors from Spotlight who weren't Mark Ruffalo or maybe Michael Keaton? I mean, there were like smart people talking at the time about how good Crudup is in a tricky role in that movie. And I recently rewatched it and I was like, Crudup is so good at this really kind of very specific yeah. reveal of information and what it says about this guy Yeah, um, that I find very impressive. So I want to go through the career kind of briefly, but, you know... It's our first crude up, so and he's one of my faves. Even though, again, I always talk about I do not approve of him uh, leaving Mary Louise Parker while she was pregnant for Claire Danes. <laughs> uh, not that's not the move. I love them both separately. See, that was the thing. I was like, it's got to be Stage Beauty, right? Because he was Globe nominated for it. No, he wasn't. Yeah, no, he wasn't. Uh, I think he's tremendous. That, but all right. So chronologically, his earliest roles are in Sleepers and. Everyone says I love you. We've got to do everyone says I love you. I know it's Woody Allen, but we got to do it. Um, inventing the yeah, Abbots. Yeah, but like you talk about the actors in that movie, you really almost have nothing to say about Woody Allen when you watch that. Exactly, movie. exactly. We'll be fine. Um, inventing the Abbots is. We should also maybe find a excuse to do inventing the Abbots. I don't know if it actually had Oscar buzz or not, but we'll look into it. Maybe we'll find some <laughs> Time article or something. But like Joaquin Phoenix, Billy Crudup, Jennifer Connelly. Um, just sort of the young, very gorgeous, you know, people of the 90s. I think Jennifer Connelly looks just so incredible in that movie. And all I can, I don't know, I just, I all I can think of is Billy Crudup in like a white button down in that movie. That's sort of the <laughs> lasting image. I can only think of anyone in that movie in a white button Bakes, down. Basically, it's yes. Like a, it's like a mid-90s Gap ad, yes. the poster. yes. Uh, 1998, though, he's in the movie Without Limits. There were two movies about the um, the American distance runner Steve Prefontaine that were made around that time. And one of them starred Jared Leto, and one of them starred uh, Billy Crudup as Steve Prefontaine. It was Without Limits. Donald Sutherland got a Golden Globe nomination for Supporting Actor. This would have been 98. Uh, not entirely sure how close Sutherland got it's kind of interesting that there wasn't more of a drumbeat for like Donald Sutherland's never been nominated for an Oscar. Maybe we should nominate him if he got as far as a Golden Globe nomination. But anyway, I don't think there was a ton of momentum for Crudup in that role, although I remember that movie being pretty well regarded. And then 1999, although the movie didn't get released in the States until 2000, is Jesus' Son, which is, who directed that? Alison McLean, where he plays a drug addict, a heroin addict, as I recall. Um, I really, really, really liked this performance. I remember, I haven't seen it it. since the time, but I remember being very impressed by it. Uh, Samantha Morton's in that movie, Holly Hunter's in that movie. Dennis Johnson adaptation. Yes. Um, It's a very, it's one of those movies where it's like, you should be impressed by what this actor is sort of putting himself through for this. It's not like, it's not on the level of like a Requiem for a Dream in that way. It's a lot more, you know, existential and and um, 
surreal, I think, in a lot of ways. I mean, Requiem's plenty surreal, I shouldn't say that. But (laughs) anyway, so 2000 is when that movie comes out. That same year, he's in Waking the Dead, the the movie, again, with Jennifer Connelly. Again, all I know of of that movie, because I've never seen it, is him on the poster in a turtleneck cable net, which... Mwah, like perfect. <laughs> um, but that's the same year as Almost Famous, where he gets the role of Russell Hammond that was originally meant for Brad Pitt at one point. You wonder how is somebody going to step into the shoes of expectation that we were going to have Brad Pitt for this role? And he knocks that one out of the park. He's so, so much so you really can't imagine anybody Pitt or anyone anybody else. else. I point. can't imagine anybody else. I, as I do ultimately think that my answer to the question is probably almost famous, and it's partly because I think two things. If people were talking supporting actor with that movie in that like wildly huge ensemble in a way that like Oscar ensembles aren't that huge, <laughs> you right. know. Uh Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of ate his lunch in that type if of If there discussion. was going to be a supporting actor nominee from that movie, it was going to be Philip Seymour Hoffman. I don't think Crude Up was campaigned at all. I would have nominated probably the both of them. I mean, I would say probably what I think it's pretty conceivable that ultimately Crude Up could have gotten that far or could have been close Maybe. if that movie had performed at the level that it was expected to because at the time about famous that oscar year was a movie that had bounced back probably as much as it could but like early on they re-released it into theaters because they were like it's such a good movie what is your problem go see this movie and again american audiences were like no thank you yeah and that became so popular after the fact you know what i mean it was a great you know, this great cable movie that people would watch and, and it's, you know, incredibly beloved today, but you couldn't get people to go see that movie in the theater. And then we lost Cameron Crowe forever. (laughs) I say that as someone who likes Vanilla Sky. From there, he makes his first of several Bart Freundlich movies where he and uh, Julian Moore and World Traveler. 2001, he's with Kate Blanchett, the first uh, Blanchett crewed up pairing in the World War II movie Charlotte Gray. The Julian Do we Armstrong think that movie. the photo of them together in Bernadette when you see younger them is red from carpet some thing type from of, maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> what red carpet event was there for Charlotte Gray? But that had to have played a festival, I have to imagine. Um, what does it say? Hold on. Now I'm gonna. I now now you've got me determined that I'm gonna figure it if out. If you talk to lead uh, Blanchett Stan, my friend Murtado Fadal, um, I think Charlotte Gray is one of the ones. He's like, no, it's actually good. <laughs> I believe it. I believe that it's good. It's just it, it's it's. I just forget. Yeah. Um. No, it didn't play festivals. Eggs on my face. Okay. Uh, it did have a Toronto premiere before its New York and LA premiere, but it was in December. It was not at the festival. Okay. Um, 2003, he's in Big Fish, which was definitely positioned for Oscars, but the actors that they campaigned for were Albert Finney and Jessica Lang. They were not Billy Crudup. They were not Marion Cotillard and they were not Ewan McGregor. So he really gets the most lost in that ensemble. Um, that, is Stage Beauty that year? Is Stage Beauty 04? I think Stage Beauty is 04. Um, Richard Eyre, speaking of 
the uh, the man uh, Richard Eyre uh directed that movie it's such to me it's a really underrated movie and it's I need to see it I think he gives a tremendous performance and would have absolutely nominated him for an Oscar this year. But again, this movie could not get arrested, not by the Globes, not by, I don't even think it got like BAFTA or anything. Like, um, it was on like one little NBR, like secondary list. I think was the only thing <laughs> that it got recognized for. So from there, he's in another Bart Freundlich movie. He's in Trust the Man. Um, He's great in Mission Impossible 3. Mission Impossible 3, I think, then kicks you into that next phase of Crudup, where he's playing J. Edgar Hoover in Public Enemies, where he's, you know, a lot of these, like, son-of-a-bitch... Bureaucrats. Son-of-a-bitch bureaucrats and thrillers. I can't remember who he plays in The Good Shepherd, but, like, very, very possible. He's also Dr. Manhattan in Watchmen, which I think was probably meant to really launch him into a next phase of his career and unfortunately that movie did not do go so well did not do for its cast members what they all wanted it to do for them which is unfortunate because that cast is great matthew good is great and uh, patrick wilson is great and crude up is great and the rare studio movie that is unafraid of the male body yeah you get a lot of big dr manhattan penis in that movie that's and for a sure. lot of patrick wilson um, I've never seen Eat, Pray, Love. I don't know who he plays. Is he like her ex? He's the husband she divorces. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. That's That again, that's the phase of Billy Crudup's career. By the time you get into the <laughs> 2010s, that's sort of where you're at. Who does he play in the Julia Roberts movie? The husband she divorces. That's about right. Um, and then for the early teens, does he do TV at all? Well, he's, he's Tim Geithner in Too Big to Fail. And again, he's great i love too big to fail is my one hbo current events movie that i always think is fantastic it was directed by curtis hansen he plays tim geithner and he's just i think tremendous um but he's sort of in the weeds for from watchmen honestly up until spotlight really and spotlight again he comes back and there felt this there was this palpable like know who's really good he had done a lot of stage stuff by the way in the interim there uh-huh. i saw him in arcadia when that was uh on broadway and he had won a tony or was nominated for a tony for the coast of utopia i can't remember mm, that sounds like a nomination probably i think was it jennifer ely who won for coast of utopia hold on now i'm gonna investigate that let's see who won god for the coast of utopia well god there's also like all three of them are listed separately on ibdb help me out here ibdb (laughs) help me help you come on they were done in rep give us a break that would be a great trivia round like omnibus not omnibus but uh plays performed in rep because they were so huge on Broadway. All right. I'm just going to look up the 2007 Tony Awards. I'm going to go right to the horse. Because I don't know shit about what The Coast of Utopia is about, but, like, I know what The Coast of Utopia is. Is that Tom Stoppard? It's Tom Stoppard. Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the Coast of Utopia is about, uh, uh, like, pre-Russian Revolution stuff, or at least that's maybe when it starts. It's a nine-hour, sure. three-part uh, Trevor Nunn directed thing. Okay, so um, 
Brianna Foburn is nominated for lead actor. He loses to Frank Langella for Frost Nixon. Um, Billy Crudup does win the Tony for featured actor in a play over his co-star Ethan Hawke. And Jennifer Ely does win featured actress in a play over her co-star Martha Plimpton. So, um, and then two queens stand before me. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, that category is actually because Dana Ivey was also nominated that year and Jan Maxwell was also nominated that year. Uh, really, honestly, this is an interest, like, this is kind of a stack. That was the year that Raul Esparza lost for company to David Hyde Pierce that I still am kind of mad about. That was the Spring Awakening year. So, um, and that was also the year that Julie White won her Tony Award for The Little Dog Laughed. 2007 Tony's. Julie like- White's Tony speech is. Yes. A, a joy, yes. a delight. It's fantastic. Also, have I ever talked about, I probably have, her, uh, the YouTube video of her at one of those, like, storytelling uh, events? I sent you this. I had to explain this to you. The Meryl Streep story? Yes. No. No, I sent this to you. No, I, I guarantee not. Unless it was, like, before we've ever done this podcast. Unless it, like, predates the podcast, because... Maybe it wasn't you, but I have definitely shown this video to someone. It's fantastic. And they were like, whoa. She's talking about, I don't know whether the event was for Wendy Wasserstein's charity or whatnot, but she's like, I'm going to tell a Wendy Wasserstein story about when she was. I think it was after Wendy Wasserstein passed. It was definitely after she had passed, but I don't know whether the purpose of this night was a benefit for Wendy Wasserstein's charity or not. But anyway, um, Julie White tells a story about Wendy Wasserstein, who, of course, was the playwright behind uh, um, uh, the Heidi Chronicles. Heidi Chronicles. And so Julie White is in the Heidi Chronicles, and she's backstage after a matinee, a weekend matinee, and Wendy's in the office, and who comes knocking at the stage door but Meryl Streep and the kids, Mamie and Grace, one imagines, or whatever. And she comes in, and Wendy Wasserstein's so, oh my god, it's Meryl! I can't, I, I'm not going to do the Wendy, or the Julie White, Wendy Wasserstein impersonation, but it's very funny. And he said, oh, I didn't know you were here! And Meryl said, you know, I wasn't, but Mamie really needs to use the bathroom. <laughs> And it's the way Julie White tells it. Julie White's Meryl, though, people think that Debbie Reynolds' Meryl is savage. Julie White's Meryl is savage in like two seconds or less. I don't think it's intended to be savage, even. I just think it's accurate. Um, And then after she leaves, the Wendy Wasserstein quote that Julie gives is uh, I'm so glad I have a hit play on Broadway so that Meryl and the kids have someplace to pee in Midtown. (laughs) that's the best that's so good how did we get there where did we oh uh billy okay so i definitely know that i have shared that with a friend who didn't know it existed i remembered what i showed to you that you didn't know existed that julia julia murney's similar like uh, new york actors get on a stage for a benefit and tell a story for two minutes whatever oh no uh no julia murney um doing when she had uh voiceover work with the spice channel (laughs) yes if you like your bitches with an asian twist (laughs) and all the fucking and sucking you can handle welcome to the month of cocktober (laughs) 
<laughs> that was also very if good. these both still exist on YouTube, I will put them. The Julie White one definitely is because I go and watch it again like every few weeks. It's so I great. really hope the Julia Murney one is on there because like it is too much to put into the episode. We will lose listeners. So, um, but it's amazing. Back to Billy Crudup though, because I just wanted this like last five to seven years where it's yes. he's in spotlight he's the journalist in jackie he is the sort of um handy flophouse stand-up guy in 20th century women um oh right what a man that's a man oh right God. there and then he wins an emmy for the morning show playing like Network television, uh, uh, shitbag personified, uh, in the morning show. The bummer of it all is, is that he's proven that, you know, the old adage of like, some people need to go to TV to get the respect they deserve. Yeah. And you never want that for anybody, but it's proven to be true. He's quietly him. halfway to an EGOT though. He's obviously, I don't yes. know in what venue we'd ever get him a Grammy award, but let's work on that kids. And um, whose autobiography can he narrate to get, uh, to, to get his, to I hope it's someone sexual. <laughs> Because as <laughs> uh, as we kind of sidestepped by with 20th century women, that incredible performance that's like not a whole lot on a page, sure. but he makes such a fucking feast out of it. And yeah. like he's very funny and like just like brings this element to the movie that has to be there and yeah. like is very sexy and him dancing with the net benning i want that playing on a loop uh every day of my life as a mindfulness exercise of some kind the mini genre of 2016 movie wherein billy crudup and greta gerwig back up a best actress uh, best actress worthy <laughs> lead performance uh in jackie and 20th century women uh is quite the double feat as far as i as far as i'm concerned um yeah so this is so again he's halfway to an egot he's so good i don't see a path at the maybe i see more of a path now than i maybe did 15 years ago actually to him getting an oscar nomination but it's interesting that it's just never been the path it's never been in the cards for him the thing is, like, I, I, I bring this up uh, with other performers before, that there's people that, like, the first time that they are in the position to get an Oscar nomination, they're, like, it's done. They're yeah. winning. Like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. first time they get nominated, they're going to win. And I don't think Billy Crudup is that. And it's kind of a bummer. But, like, you can see the path to a nomination, sure. I wonder if he's got anything coming up that's particularly besides... Dinner and drinks with me Did tonight. he get recast for this misbegotten the flash i think he did i don't think oh boy. i think yeah that's not he because he was in the the justice league movie as the flash's uh uh imprisoned dad but he's not in, was he in the justice league movie or was he in zack snyder's justice league both he's brief, careful for bringing that up he's they briefly he's briefly in the theatrical issues. cut he's a little bit more in the director's cut but he's definitely in the theatrical just like very very briefly yeah he doesn't really have anything upcoming there's a television series that's in post-production called hello tomorrow that he's credited in but that i have no idea um what that even is so okay um 
But yeah, no movies on the horizon, at least according to IMDb. Let's work on this as a culture. Let's work on... Blanchett has amazing things on the horizon. She has uh, Almodovar's first English language film, supposedly shooting next spring, last that I saw. Nice. Um, Very exciting for that pair. Very excited for that pairing. Um, And she's also currently shooting a TV show with Alfonso Cuaron. So I'm bummed that Alfonso Cuaron is making television and not movies at the moment. But if that's going to be the case, teaming up with Kate Blanchett sounds pretty good. I agree. Um, she's also a voice in Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. And what if they made another Pinocchio? What if they made two Pinocchios right on top of each other is the question we're going to find out this year. Um, she's in the upcoming Eli Roth movie with Kevin Hart and Jamie Lee Curtis, which is like based on an IP. I don't even know what it is, whatever. Fine. But she's worked with Eli Roth before. She like likes Eli Roth. I buy that. Yeah. Have you seen House with a Clock in Its Walls or whatever it's called? No. I really liked no, that movie. No, I didn't. I liked it a lot. Okay. It's, it's kind of wonderful. All right. And like... The kid felt very queer coded to me in a way that I like enjoyed, but didn't feel like it was being like obvious in the way that is annoying in some stuff where it's just like, see, look at this. Right. And it's like, that's nothing. All right. That's cool. I like that movie. She's apparently the narrator in that awful looking Netflix fantasy thing, The School for Good and Evil with Charlize Theron. With Charlize Theron with the. Uh, Johnny Depp Mad Hatter wig on her head. Have you seen? I, I have you seen I, the photos I, for this I, with her and Carrie I Washington? I do not see it. Yeah. I you say that title and it wisps through one ear and <laughs> hushes out the other. Understandable. No. Understandable. Okay. What else do we want to talk about with regard to where'd you go, Bernadette? Oh, the so Blanchett is nominated for the Golden Globe. Oh, yes, Globe, we didn't even get to this yet. Which is like the just outlier wilderness that's the only awards attention this movie got. This was not very well received. This was a summer movie. This was basically written out of the awards conversation by the end of the summer. And it and yet, this was probably the ceiling for this movie, ultimately. So how much of a failure Maybe. Is this? I don't know. I feel like if this movie is done very correctly there's not not a path towards oscar nominations but like the other thing about this was and we didn't really even talk about it this this much this episode this movie was pushed a whole year yeah to the point where it became like this punchline of when is this movie coming out yeah so when i talked earlier about how sometimes 2019 feels as remote as any kind any year you want to talk about this Golden Globes actress in a musical or comedy lineup is so both set specifically in the like month that it happened (laughs) and yet also feels like a bajillion years ago. So that was when Aquafina won for The Farewell, which I understand. I liked The Farewell too. Maybe not as much as everybody else seemed to, but like, no, I like it a lot. Nobody ever talks about it. It's interesting because i mean like people really loved that movie at the time and it's a movie that we actually get asked to talk about on this show quite a bit do you um i I see it um 
And it like the last time we did one of the big giant listeners choice things, it did well. Okay. Um I mean we should at some point. I mean, it's interesting because like Aquafina kind of faded away. We haven't had a follow-up from the director yet, and like she's another one who's going to TV, unfortunately. Aquafina, I don't know necessarily faded away. She just pivoted away from she didn't continue on Public this life. path like the yeah. winning the golden globe for the farewell didn't push her further down this path she went to other right. things she did the voiceover for raya and the last dragon and she's in shang chi and she's doing a tv show and all this other stuff um she defeats Kate blanchett for where'd you go bernadette Anna de armas for knives out who feels like she's had three careers since that performance yeah in both I just watched her Deep personal Water life for the and her professional life this week. Deepwater's Deepwater is both off its rocker and yet not as much as I maybe wanted it to be still. I am I am fully on board with like you know assessing a movie as misunderstood or like <laughs> yeah. intentionally bizarre but like i don't know what was in that tea of this movie kind of, of yeah. like i can't tell if it is brilliant or if it is genuinely horrible i was i'm glad to have movies like that i'm glad to have movies that yeah. are genuine oddities like that where where adrian line is just going to go for it and i can puzzle over what the hell Ben Affleck is trying to do in this movie and what the hell Anand Armas is doing. I know what Tracy Letts is doing in that movie, which is and it's mad- madness. It is just <laughs> madness. And it's great. It's, it is hard drugs. Um, also nominated, though, that same year, Beanie Feldstein and Booksmart, which again has had three or four different careers since that performance. And then the like the least interesting one, which is Emma Thompson in Late Night. Um but like, Which was just like a disappointing movie that, much like Bernadette, kind of had the narrative already set for it to get that Glo- Golden Globe nomination. But is there a more, we are we are weeks away from a pandemic destroying everything lineup of <laughs> actresses this, and also performances yeah. than that one. It's just so pre-pandemic. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> pre-pandemic is a whole mood and vibe right. that we need to uh, start ascribing to things because I think people will understand exactly what you mean when you say that. Yeah. Um, In a way that, like, the best picture lineup from this year does not feel pre-pandemic. Right. It's just, right. like, pre-pandemic oh, right. is culture that was, like, lost over. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Little Women... Um, uh, obviously, the Parasite, Irishman. The Irishman. Right. That all feels like part of that Oscar year that yeah. wrapped up. Again, Parasite winning was the last good thing that ever happened. But right. No. But it's the Ana de Armas moment, the Beanie Feldstein and Booksmart moment, the Aquafina in the Farewell moment does feel much more like that was the ephem- like not ephemeral necessarily, but like, I don't know. It's tough to explain if those movies because they were all left out of the Oscars that year, feel a little bit more, if there was not a pandemic, we would have spent the last two years being like, justice for Beanie Feldstein and Booksmart, justice for Ana de Armas and Knives Out, justice for Aquafina and The Farewell. We would spent all our a lot of our time that we spent talking about 
vaccines and PPE and, you know, insurrections <laughs> and, and all this other sort of stuff, we would have annoyed the shit out of people being like, you have to see Booksmart again. You don't understand. It was so good. And I don't know if we'd be doing quite that. No, but what you, I but do you know think what is like, about, though, right? what would Anna de Armas be doing? Like, Every role that she's had since the pandemic have been roles that we've been waiting on for years. Right. Like, it just feels like there was this doing? there was this this hamster wheel that began in culture at that point. And I don't know. Like nothing turned out the way that it was going to. We just we diverted off of the timeline and went in, in other directions. Where where'd Bernadette go? Where'd she go, Bernadette? She went into the... She, she went into, into the, the upside down, is what she... Yeah, yeah, yeah as the, with the rest of culture. All right. Um, she went home. She stayed home. Do we want... Could, 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 just talk a little bit about Annapurna. This is an Annapurna movie after they had made mm-hmm. their deal with United Artists. They released... Annapurna, like, You're better had a lot of... Am, so. They had a lot of Oscar success. It's run by Megan Ellison, you know, uh, nepotism uh, billionaire baby. Uh Billion Baby, whatever you want to cutesy wordify that. They had a lot of success as a production company that would ultimately produce films that would be distributed elsewhere. Like, they produced films by, like, gosh, I'm even trying to remember. Like, they produced things like Her, American Hustle, uh, you know, movies that might not have been made within a studio system, but then get released ultimately by a studio killing them softly uh american hustle her fox catcher mm-hmm. um detroit yes detroit was detroit released by annapurna though the thing with annapurna is there is they yes it was distributed became their own yeah. distributor yes. without really doing it all that well right. and They ultimately, when they're doing their own awards campaigns, you know, Beale Street wins for Regina King. um, Should have done better. But ultimately, that is a movie we all agree should have done better. And it wasn't campaigned all that well. Um, We had invested a lot of hope into Annapurna. And it maybe moved too far too fast. And as a result, tripped itself up. And right, is it st- like what is even the current status? I think it has be- basically been somewhat folded into the UA right. uh, mold, basically, and I I can't tell you kind of what that is because the Amazon of it all now, right. but like Megan Ellison is back to producing, but I don't think you're gonna see that Amazon or that um. You'll see the Amazon one. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you'll see the Annapurna logo on anything. They are apparently one Annapurna of the... Annapurna also had Vice. Yes. And, like, they put all their eggs in the Vice chip, and it, like, I guess it paid off. Yeah. But, you know, plenty of smart people have said, you know, if that movie had another week to sit on people's palate, it wouldn't have gotten those nominations. Sure. Um, they are one of the production companies with a hand in She Said. The mm-hmm. uh, coming this year, they I can't imagine they will be the sort of definite like that is being distributed by Universal, so that is not right. ultimately like an Annapurna movie, but it's worth you know mentioning. I imagine. Have you have you been in a movie theater that has the poster for She Said up? No, 
it's maybe one of the worst pieces of marketing I've seen in a while. It looks like you would it looks like a you wouldn't steal a DVD poster. <laughs> I don't know. Is it what this thing doing. that I'm looking at with the silhouette uh of a Yes. Yeah. Yes. It looks like a non a don't smoke ad or something. I, it does not look like a poster I want to, for a movie about what it's about. I want to be very excited for that movie and I am excited to see it. That trailer gave me a lot of questions. See, I liked the trailer more than you did, but like I know that it did get a little roasted online, mostly for um, Carrie Mulligan's American accent, which a lot of people think her version of American accent is simply baritone. I didn't mind um, the accents. That was not my. It, it felt like. Remember when the thing with Mad Men was that all of their like next next week on Mad Men stuff was uh, pr- purposefully non-specific and vague and we're just like non-sequitur after non-sequitur because matthew weiner didn't want anybody to to know about it she said felt like a collection of sentences they wanted to put in the trailer that didn't feel like they were connected in any way that felt Mm. like they weren't quite as non-specific as the Mad Men thing but it felt like just you know what exactly are we looking at kind of except it's all all stuff that like is like plausible taglines right like the fact that that poster for that movie is like will you go on the record it's just like there's just like that's that trailer was like that line in 20 different permutations throughout that entire trailer i don't know i want it to be good i i i want good things for uh, All Morgan I needed in that trailer was a shot of Samantha Morton, and I got it. That's the thing. The cast looks fantastic. Samantha Morton. Who else did I? I walked out of there. Uh, uh, Jennifer Ely. Jennifer Ely. Jennifer Ely. Yes, Jennifer Ely. Um, and I realize I, I I I am happy, even though the other Samantha Morton project I don't want to even fucking deal with, but I have to. Um, what's that? The whale. Oh right. And I realized that she was anti-vax until she got COVID and now isn't anymore. But like, I'm... I, Listen, I'm we're all on our own journey here. We're all on our own journey. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, all right. Anything else before we head into the IMDb game? No, let's head into the IMDb Why game. don't you talk about the IMDb game? Every episode, we uh, end the episode with uh, what we call the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to name the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we'll get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that's not enough, it just becomes a, a free-for-all of hints and a long journey to Antarctica. <laughs> Would you like to give first or guess first? Um, well, first, I would like to note that we got through this whole episode uh, without saying there are no Eskimo in Antarctica. <laughs> um, Speaking I'll of Mary Louise first. Parker. Yeah. Speaking of Mary Louise Parker. All right. But, Chris, give her guess. 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 Okay. Guess. So, uh, one of my favorite and certainly most uh, definitional Richard Linklater movies for me is Dazed and Confused, a movie that I saw when I was in high school and uh, Im- imprinted on me uh, in a very important way. That is a fantastic sprawling cast full of people who would go on to bigger careers uh, and some much bigger careers and some not quite so much. Um, but it's a really interesting cast. One of whom is Mr. Anthony Rapp, who we've never done oh. for IMDb games. So why don't you do the IMDb game for Anthony Rapp? Is there television? 
Surprisingly, no. Okay, so no Star Trek Discovery. Correct. Um, Rent. Rent. Correct. Adventures in Babysitting. Adventures in Babysitting was the one I was trying to... I didn't know whether you'd remember that he was in that. Of course I'd remember Adventures in Babysitting. But I, I knew you'd remember the movie. I don't know if you'd remember... One of the few tenets of life it. is you don't fuck with the babysitter. You sure don't fuck with the babysitter. Uh, Dazed and Confused. Yes. Three for three. Are you going to get a perfect score? I don't think so, because this... I'm struggling to come up with anything else. Um, all due respect to Anthony Rapp. Um, I made... Uh, wanting to be him, my personality. Uh, <laughs> as soon as I heard the Rent cast album, um, okay, I know that there's answer. He's gotta be like not a bureaucrat, but you know, like, um, oh, um, I don't think it's Scent of a Woman, but he plays like a a, a boarding school type in a movie like that. Is it Scent of a Woman? It's not Scent of a Woman. He's not in. Scent of a Woman, but there are a couple movies on his filmography that you are maybe thinking of instead. I won't say whether they are or are not. I feel like he's one. with Ethan Hawke in one of them. It's not Dead Poets Society, though. It's not Dead Poets Society. Um, mm. Is it something like that? It's something. Is it a beautiful mind? It is a beautiful mind. A beautiful mind is, is the fourth one. Your your boarding school movie you're thinking of is maybe School Ties, I but don't he's think also one school of the ties. kids in Six Degrees of Separation. Ah, uh, yes. Which is maybe what you're thinking of. Uh, both of those movies Good made movie, around that same time. But yes, A Beautiful Mind was the one you came oh so close to a perfect score. But uh, well done. I I would imagine it's been years since I've had a perfect score, so that's a real lost opportunity for me. Um, uh, okay, so for you, um, we were talking about Best Actress this year. Not a Best Actress in a Comedy when strategically placed in drama, even though it could have been comedy, and, you know, uh, definitely landed that win. Uh, we're talking about the Best Actress winner... Venus and Serena and Bob Dylan. <laughs> Dolores Huerta. Uh, <laughs> One of the best speeches. <laughs> Venus and Serena and Selena. Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers. Uh, Renee Zellweger. Did she say Sally Ride also? I'm pretty sure she says Sally Ride. <laughs> um, all right, Renee. Well, Judy, I do think, is probably one of them. Incorrect. <laughs> Nobody's watching that movie, man. It's so recent, though. All right. Well, my thing is, do I jump into the other Oscar win and risk the dreaded two strikes right off of the bat? Because once I get the years for Renee, it's going to go very quickly. I'll be able to knock that one out, I think, pretty well. So I... I want to make sure that there's not something that's like so obvious as oh Bridget Jones's diary is the thing that yeah correct. Okay. We'll put a pin in whether any of the Bridget Jones sequels are also in there. Um, all right, so I got that at least Bridget Jones. I am going to guess Cold Mountain. Correct. Okay. All right, Jerry Maguire's tough because that's made her a star, but she's probably. 
at best third build in that movie and i uh, something tells me that she's like farther down the billing than she should be in that movie um but it's such a popular piece of filmmaking all right so other renee stuff between oh chicago chicago all right just watched it last week it's a fantastic movie lit watching chicago it's a fantastic movie um god it's it it still just doesn't miss yeah like uh i I don't know it's 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 fucking great all right so Um, i've got one to go you do you have one more wrong guess before you're gonna get the year all right it's not gonna be like a nurse betty it's not gonna be (laughs) miss potter um I don't think it's down with love, even though that movie's gotten much more popular Rules. in the last uh, Rules. year. Um, I am going to guess Jerry Maguire. It's Jerry okay. Maguire. Yeah. All right. We got the same exact score. Yeah, look at that. Not too bad. Look at that. All right. Well done. Good episode on a movie that I didn't think I was going to have a ton to talk about. So uh, uh, thank God for me. All right. Um that's our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz listeners, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Where where are you going, Bernadette, to find me? You're going to Twitter. You're going to Letterboxd. You're looking for Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. I am on Twitter and Letterboxd. By the time this episode comes out, I think I'll be in the thick of New York Film Festival stuff. So uh, check me out there if I'm logging some of that sweet, sweet tar action at New York Film Festival. Woohoo! And she said, by the way, speaking of movies we were talking about, uh, both of those at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So remember to get those wisdom teeth pulled before you hole up in Antarctica for five weeks and write us a nice review. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Can I make a request? Can the outro music be, do you remember that like dance song from the 90s that's like, where do you go, my lovely? Where do you go, my lovely?